Join me in the book of Acts chapter 2 for the next however many weeks. We don't even know how long. Uh, you just come prepared, bring a Bible every Sunday morning, and we'll be in the book of Acts. Uh, Dustin and I have uh, felt distinct leadership of the Lord to take uh, the Newbridge family, those that are watching on live stream, those that will watch later through our media streams, just to go through the book of Acts to reclaim the revelation of the book of Acts. I don't believe the Lord's uh, left us clueless about who we are and our identity, nor what we're to be doing in our activity as believers. Uh, I don't think the Lord wants us operating in a fog. I know that he wants us to do the things that are important to his heart, and I am firmly convinced and have been for the uh, 23 years that I've been saved that the word of God is the blueprint gives us all things pertaining to life and, and godliness and our pursuit of Jesus Christ. And then he even tells us what to expect at the end of the age. And so as I'm looking at my world that I'm living in today, and I'm reading my Bible, and I'm looking up from my Bible, I'm glancing at the world. And then I'm looking back down at the Scripture, and I'm looking again at the world, and I'm scanning, and I'm seeing what's going on globally, I'm seeing what's going on in the church. I'm seeing what's going on in the world that comes against the church. I am absolutely convinced that we are living in the last pages of the last chapter of the church age. I do believe, I fully expect to see the Son of God split the skies in my lifetime. And I am hungering and thirsting for that. But I'm also aware as one who has poured into the local church uh, for, for 20 years in vocational ministry, I'm also aware that many, if not most Christians, are not thinking on these things to the degree that we should. And so when we get into the Word of God and I think about what is the church, what is the part that the church is to play in this, I want to do God's things the right way. There are a lot of alternatives in our day. There are a lot of techniques. There's a lot of machinery. There's a lot of, of, of different resources available for churches to do something called church, whether it's on a Sunday or a midweek or on a Friday. There's a lot of ideas out there. But God has only and always promised to bless His ideas, His plans, and His ways. And so it is incumbent upon us to discern what are those ways. God, what are you doing and how do I get in on it? And that's the question that the church has to answer in any generation. So I'm going to ask you to uh, do a little popcorn with me. Pop back up if you're physically able. Acts chapter number 2. I want you to look with me in verse 42. I want to bring you a message called How Faith Flows. How Faith Flows. The last time we were together, uh, last two Sundays... We were, we were in Acts chapter 2 in the beginning part, in Pentecost. Holy Spirit power, signs and wonders and tongues of fire and amazing things taking place. We're going to move a little bit further from that explosive entrance of the Holy Spirit into the church. And now, now that the flames have visibly died down, but the power is not, what does the power of the Holy Spirit look like in a group of surrendered believers? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Speaking of the church, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, say together with me, together, and had all things in common. Watch this. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And I have turned my iPad on, so let me read it from the screen. <laughs> praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those were being saved. Dustin, catch that because Siri is talking to me. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. <laughs> Siri wanted in on the morning service too. I want you to take a minute. I want you to still your heart. And this is the question I want all of us to ask. God, what do I need to do to be the type of believer we're going to talk about today? Don't worry about anybody else in the kingdom. Don't you dare compare yourself to other people this morning. This is me comparing myself to Jesus and saying, help me grow, Lord. Help me grow. So, Father, I ask you now, send the Holy Spirit in the fullness of enlightenment, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I pray that every distraction would be silenced. 
I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that the power of the almighty God of heaven, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would flood this place. I pray, Lord, that this would be a day of renovation in the hearts of the people of Newbridge. I pray, Lord, that the power would be thick enough in here, would be transmitted through the airwaves, across the internet, into the live stream, into homes, wherever people are listening. Lord, we want your power. We want your presence. We want to see you in our generation. We are tired of religion. We are tired of the old wineskin. We are tired of dried up dead grapes on a dead vine. Lord, we want to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would begin to wring it out. That you begin to pour it out. That you begin to bless us, Lord, and give us appetites for what you have prepared for us. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. What does faith look like when it begins to flow? The Bible speaks so often of the Holy Spirit as a river. We, we see him symbolized by moving water. We see the Holy Spirit typified in, in Jesus' teaching at times like a well of water and then at other times as a spring of water. And so the one thing that we know is that the body of Christ is much more like the Jordan River flowing than it is the stagnant sea, uh, salt sea, dead sea, just sitting there. The brothers and sisters, what God is doing in you, he never intends to keep within you. He always pours into you so he can pour through you. And those that are here are surrendering and living in the openness of God pour through me, those are the same people that are experiencing more and more of him. So in other words, God's not going to pour more of himself and his goodness and his power and his presence into a clogged drain. He's going to pour into those that don't serve as a bowl, but serve as a pipe that he can water the nations and water the world and season with grace. So we want to be believers like that. But I'm going to tell you something. We live in a hectic, frenetic, frantic world. We live in a day and age where we're bombarded in our minds with all sorts of negativity. I don't even want to look at the news anymore because I know what they're going to say. It's going to be wah, 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 wah. That's all it's going to be. Turn the channel. You're going to hear it. It may be a different face. It may be a different tone, but it's the same message. Everything's bleak. Everything's bad. Everybody hates each other. We're all going down. That's the American news right now, and it's spreading out in the globe. And so many of us are being conditioned by that instead of being conditioned with what God says is possible. And so we, got, we have to look in the Word today and find out what does it look like when faith flows. First of all, as we see in the infant church, remember, they had no Bible. They had no seminary. They, they, they had no ministry tools. They had the apostles' doctrine, and they had the power of the Holy Spirit, and they were doing more in their day than we're doing in our day. And so let's look at what we might need to recover. First of all, it flows in unwavering dedication. This is what they devoted themselves to. This is what the early church devoted themselves to. Four quick things. First of all, they treasured the truth. The Bible says that the first thing they devoted themselves to was the teaching, the doctrine of the apostles. It's amazing to me that people who were birthed into the kingdom through such an amazing, supernatural, mind-blowing occurrence like Pentecost, where visible tongues of fire and audible rushing and the senses were assaulted by the, the wind and then came the verbal, the tongues that were spoken. And then 3,000 people were born again into the family. It's amazing to me that they didn't keep chasing the signs and the wonders. That the first thing they devoted them to, themselves to was this. We, we need to be taught. We need to know the truth. We want to be instructed. Now, the signs and wonders didn't go away. We're coming to that in a moment. But what is incredible to me, that the people did not have to be hunted down by the apostles saying, you need to come to study. You need to come and learn. You need to understand the scriptures. You need to hear the, the doctrine. You need to hear the words that the Lord Jesus taught us. They didn't have to go chasing them down. Those Christians, thousands of them, were saying, you teach us. We want to learn. They were the proverbial sponge looking for a water faucet in order to soak up something good. They said, uh, the word teaches here that they were in an ongoing, continual, intentional dedication of what is true. Teach me the truth. But it went beyond that. They were intertwined in covenant. They were not only devoted to the teaching of the apostles, but they were devoted to the fellowship with one another. 
Now, fellowship in, in the proud, individualistic 21st century American culture, fellowship doesn't get a lot of PR. It doesn't make the bold print on the, the latest website. Fellowship is kind of even an archaic word. If you're a millennial, you're thinking, that sounds like something grandma used to do. Fellowship? What is fellowship? Well, friends, let me tell you, fellowship is a Bible word, and it's a very important one. As a matter of fact, the word is koinonia. It's the first time in the Greek that this word is used in the New Testament. You don't find it anywhere in the Gospels. You find it here. Koinonia is the fellowship. It is more than just getting together in the church uh, assembly hall with 17 different casseroles to pick from, some punch and some pie. It's, it's much bigger than the Baptist uh, 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 breakfast. It's, it's something, something more substantial. What is it? It indicates a partnership. It indicates that they are strategically and willingly giving their lives to one another. It means they are participating. They are partaking. They are partnering. They are participating. And it literally means they're doing life together. The early church was called out into a, from a hostile Roman Empire. They were there primarily in Jerusalem where this is beginning to take place in a highly Hebrew society, the same leaders of which had just crucified Jesus Christ less than a couple of months before. And so you now see them no longer belonging to the Roman world, no, which they wouldn't have done anyway for the most part, but now, now they're saying there's only one God in the midst of a Roman kingdom that says there's a pantheon of gods. And now the Jews are saying, yes, there is one God, the God and Father of our Abraham, our, our, our forefathers. And they're saying, no, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom you crucified, the one that you nailed to a tree. And so immediately, the, the, the Gentile culture is against these Christians. The Jewish culture is against these Christians. And all they had was each other. And so they were intertwined and they said, this is my brother. This is my sister. They wouldn't have all looked the same. They wouldn't have all had the same social status. They would not have all come from the same pedigree. But they knew that somewhere in those early days that the blood of Jesus shed on Calvary had not only made them right with God, but made them one with each other. And they prized that. If a church is going to be flowing in faith, doctrine and teaching and preaching will remain important. But so also will be the intertwining of lives. We'll come back to that in a moment. They were also intentional in devotion in verse number 42. It talks about the breaking of bread. Again, more than a meal. That is highly likely a reference to the observance of the Lord's Supper, the communion. In, in the early church, they would not only gather in the temple, but when they gathered in homes, it, it, it would just be an informal worship setting. They had formal worship, we'll talk about in a moment, but also informal. But in the homes, in the midst of informal worship, they would take formal moments and they would say, let's remember the Lord Jesus Christ. He commanded us to remember him. And they would break off the bread, a loaf would be passed around, they'd break off, and each would hold a piece, and they would say, let's remember his body that he gave on the cross, the lamb sacrificed and slaughtered for our sins. Let's remember that he is the lamb of God, and they would eat the bread. And then they would take a, a, a flagon of wine, a chalice perhaps, and it would be a communal cup that kind of gives us the ickies today, but it was okay back then. And they would fill it with wine, and they would each take a sip in remembering the blood of Jesus, and they would pass it along. And so there you have it. You have the beautiful representation of fellowship with the Lord, but also fellowship with each other as they shared in the breaking of bread. They were consistent and devoted to the breaking of the communal bread and the drinking of the wine. But they were also persistent in prayer. Again, in verse number 42. The Bible says that they dedicated themselves to the prayers. Now, it would have been an interesting time to be a believer because most of their prayers that were tattooed on their mind would have been Hebrew prayers. And those prayers would still be valid, but yet now they had found the missing piece of the puzzle. Their prayers so often would have been for the Messiah to come, and now they could pray, oh, glory to the Father, the Messiah has come. It's Yeshua, our King, our Messiah, the Anointed One, the Redeemer, the Deliverer. And there were so many other things that they could have prayed, but what I want to specify in this is that they were intentionally and lastingly devoted to these things. They were devoted. That means when they surrendered to Jesus in that moment of bowing to his lordship, they recognized it wasn't a prayer from the lips and a ticket to heaven, but it was a surrender of the life and a call to carry a cross. And nothing's changed. You and I that were saved and 
have been reared in the 20th and 21st century, primarily for most of you here, in Western Christianity, even more than that, most of you American Christianity. Can I say this at the risk of sounding like a Debbie Downer today? We have lost some of the most clear components of the call of God on our lives. A high calling, a holy calling, a calling not just simply to celebrate on the weekend while we live independently from Christ during the week, but a call to carry our cross and to go forth and make disciples collectively as the church, making disciples out of all people and teaching them to what? To obey all things that Jesus Christ commanded. How did we go from that to this? Pray a prayer, ask Jesus in your heart, you'll go to heaven, but if you want to take it up a notch, we offer discipleship classes, but don't feel pressured. We have to laugh because it's like a dagger if we think too long on it. That's, that's what's happened. We've poured so much milk on the gospel that it feels like a consumeristic dairy product now. And people will drink it all day long, but when every now and then God just says, I want to reclaim some revelation from the Scripture, and I want you in the body of Christ to serve up some meat. So when we think of these things, just think about this word, dedication. And then let's go ahead. I'm not above giving you a moment to inspect your heart. Just ask yourself, is your dedication flowing? Is it a clogged pipe? Is it a dry riverbed? Did it never get started? Did the faucet never get turned on? Or is it flowing just like God intends? Well, the beauty of it is this. However you answer that question, Jesus will meet you at the point of your honest answer. Jesus will come right to you say, Lord, my, my pipe's clogged. I, I've been one who's received and received and received, but I haven't been dedicated to letting it flow out. L Lord, I, I never turned it on. I asked Jesus in my heart, but I, I never went any further than that. Or maybe you're one who's flowing and you're saying, Lord, could you, could you put a little swifter current in this thing? Could you put a little more volume of spiritual water in this? Lord, I want to move for you. Wherever you are, the Lord will meet you there. Faith flows in unwavering dedication. And I would say to Newbridge Church, if there has ever been a season in our lives, uh, individually and in our short time together as a local assembly, let me tell you, this is the day of unwavering dedication in the name of Jesus I'll say this, and I hope you know my heart. Our excuses need to be damned to hell. They need to be damned to hell because that's their source. Our excuses as Christians for why we are not who we should be and not being who we should be and doing what we should do, they are wrapped up in the enemy who has trained our flesh to say, what's the least I can give? Instead of following Jesus who to the uttermost, took the cross to Calvary and bore our sins upon it, rose again, and the Bible says he didn't finish it. It says, today he is ever living, making intercession for me and you. That is a moment that is ripe with an opportunity of conviction. Let our excuses be damned to the pit of hell and leave them there. And instead of mastering excuses anymore, let us come up with reasons that we must move forward and unwavering dedication. Second thing, faith flows in a powerful manifestation. You know, as, as solid as we must be on apostolic doctrine and truth and preaching, and let me just say this, I know that, listen, I love the celebration, I love the high highs, I love it. I wish we could keep it at, you know, you know, number 11 on the spinal tap dial. I wish we could just have it all the way up all the time. But every now and then, you have to quiet the celebration so you can get instruction. And the thing is, is they're not divorced. They're not, oh man, it's either or. The more instruction you believe and receive, the more you have to celebrate. Celebration is objective. It's not primarily emotional. It's substantive. It means we're celebrating a person that we know. And the more we know him, the more we want to celebrate. In the early church, one of the things that is, was taking place that I'll just be honest with you, I, I don't know if we're seeing this. I know I'm not seeing this. Maybe you are. If you are, I want to hang out with you because I don't see enough of this. What am I talking about? I'm talking about a powerful manifestation of the presence and the person of God. Not, not reading about it in history. 
not, not wondering why it's going on over there in Tunisia or Kenya or in, in South America or in the house churches in China or why, why it's going on in the bush in, you know, um, uh, somewhere in the midst of the, the Gobi Desert. I, it's, it's, I, don't wanna, I do want to hear about those things, but I don't want to only hear about those things. And, and I don't, we've got to answer this question. Why aren't we seeing this in the American church? It's a valid question that has an objective answer. And I'm not content at 46 years old to live any more years saying, well, God is sovereign, he'll send it when he wants to. What do you mean when he wants to? What do you mean as if he doesn't want to send revival? As if he doesn't want to pour out himself in great measure? As if he doesn't want his glory to be displayed before believing and unbelieving lies? We have relegated our lack of potency to God's sovereignty? No, my friends. Our Father in heaven, I'll get to the verse in a minute. I'm just going to preach for a second. The, the, the verse is, is the, 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 the heart of God is this. I've commissioned you under revival. I've empowered you for supernatural wonders, signs, and works. I have placed you in a generation that is skeptical, hostile, and unbelieving to the words that come out of your mouth. And very much like the Roman Empire in the first century, a pluralistic culture that has many gods and is given to hedonism, meaning this, they just want to please their flesh. And as I can preach as loud and as long, God knows I've tried, as, as, as I could possibly preach loudly and longly. But it's not going to be enough to convince some. And it never has been enough. I, uh, and I, I say this, I'm not even going to, I sound like I'm mad, I'm not, I'm not mad, I promise you. Some of you are cringing. Just unclench, you're okay, it's, it's all right. I'm passionate. And, and listen, Passion can be contagious, but I, I don't want you to be able to just say, ooh, yes, amen, somebody ought to answer that. Somebody ought to move in that direction. Somebody ought to do something, and we're looking around. No, it's you. It's you, young man. It's you, little girl. It's you, elder saint. It's you, saved for 40-year Christian, and you that were saved last Tuesday. It's you. Why? Because God is not partial. He says, I'm looking for somebody whose heart is right with me, and I will pour out my best on that person. And so what does it look like in this passage of Scripture? Well, I love verse number 43. Watch this. We're talking about how faith flows. It flows in a powerful manifestation. Look what it says about the believers. It says, all came upon every soul. It's another Greek word there. It's phobos, from which we get our word phobia. King James, if you're carrying King James or an older translation, you're going to probably see the word fear. Fear came upon every soul. Newer translations want to soften that a little bit, and they say, well, let's make it all. Well, it's both, actually. Uh, the word phobos in the Greek indicates anything from reverential awe of God to downright terror, because God is really big. Now, friends, you may not like that. You say, well, he's our father. We ought not be afraid of him. You're going to have to cut out large chunks of your Bible. Because there are people that get in the presence of God and they melt. I mean, they, they just fall to their knees. There's, if you go to the back of the book, uh, in the book of Revelation, you're going to see that even in the presence of angels, those heavenly creatures, there are people that fall down. There are other times where people see the resurrected Son of God and they can't look. And you, you even look at Peter, um, maybe Matthew 5, and they're taking in that incredible drought of fishes where they had fished all night, they had gotten nothing, and Jesus says, throw your net on this side. They pull all of these fish into the boat, and Peter, he marks it. This is what all looks like. Peter falls down in the boat after he pulls in all of these fish, and he says to the Lord, you, you got to get away from me. I'm a sinner. It's intense. Friends, the mark of a church that is spirit-filled, all of us want to talk about tongues and prophecy, and I'm for all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I'm not, apart for, I'm not, I'm not for any of that apart from a holy, reverential awe of God, where He is holy. The Holy Spirit is not the happy spirit. It's not the hunky spirit. He's the holy spirit. Spirit, And when we recognize that, that God is not JC upstairs, my homeboy, and, and that God is not the big man, 
You know, I, I'm, friends, listen, I understand that people want to make him accessible, and I get that. There's a fine line between being comfortable versus being casual. I'm comfortable with him as my father, but I'm going to tell you something. Even with my earthly dad, I could sit in daddy's lap, but if I didn't walk in daddy's ways, I would be afraid of daddy in those moments. So when we're looking at this, it was awe. We've gone from awestruck to all shucks. We're just kind of casual, cavalier, and flippant. Let me tell you, I believe this. And this is not about personality and it's not about temperament because not all of you are extroverts and God doesn't want us all to be extroverts. He doesn't want everybody to be loud. He doesn't want everybody to be animated. Some of us he does, some of us he doesn't. But let me tell you this, if you're bored with God, you're about the top of my sin list. I cannot imagine how any of us walking with the Lord could ever become bored with him. Shrugging away our days, shrugging away our Christian life, shrugging away our calling, shrugging away our generation, shrugging, moving in and out of church services like cattle, just being told where to go. And we come back next Sunday and we sit, we stand, we raise our hands, but we leave unchanged and we're unmoved. That's why our coworkers don't know that Jesus loves us and we love him and he loves them. Why? Because we're not moved. We're not awestruck. I dare say. That great tragedy of 2017 that happened in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. When the demonized patriots summoned all of the forces of hell to come against the anointed Atlanta Falcons. And they won. Some of you are more grieved about that than you are some of the things that are going on in the kingdom, which didn't end at the blow of the whistle of the fourth quarter. You see, we're grieved about the wrong things, and we're motivated at times by the wrong things. Now, I, I watched the football game, and I was very disappointed, but I tell you what, I woke up on Monday, I didn't want to talk about it, but my, my heart wasn't attached to it. But it doesn't have to be football. It could be good things like our kids, our grandkids, our spouse. It could be our money. We place our awe on unworthy objects and we're constantly disappointed when those things don't come through for us. But the early church, their faith was flowing and they were living in regular awe. But there's a reason why some of that was taking place. It's the next part of that verse. It was because these believers were outwardly empowered. Watch this. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, there was a reason why they were probably more easily moving in to that state of awe. It is because visibly, God was moving at a very high level through the holiness, the faith, and the commitment, the dedication of the early church. And it begins with the apostles. Remember, you had 12. You have thousands of converts immediately after Pentecost. And you've got 12 primary leaders that are being called to shepherd thousands of people where they're just trying to count heads and take names, find out who's been saved, who hasn't. They got a lot of baptisms to do. And on day one, it was, the, it was run and gun, run and gun, run and gun. And, and, and there, there was obviously the need to establish leadership. And so it began... It began in that baptism of the Holy Spirit, the apostles moved with a heightened level of anointing that resulted primarily, not only, I don't believe, but primarily at the beginning, through the apostles, signs and wonders. That's a phrase that we've heard forever in our Christian lives. I think from time to time, we just need to go back and read through the Gospels and read through the book of Acts to reacquaint ourselves with what are they? What are the signs and wonders? Now, I mean, we can talk about healings. We can talk about resurrections. By the way, some of the signs and the wonders were judicial. It means they were not happy signs and wonders. Ask Ananias and Sapphira. Ask Elimus the sorcerer who wanted to, wanted to do a little, a little voodoo and wanted the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. And he was bothering Paul, and Paul just said, you know what, just, you're just going to have to sit, sit tight. I'm going to let you be blind for a few days. And all of a sudden, homeboy could not see. He's walking around. He doesn't know what's going on. I said homeboy twice in one message. Something's up. <laughs> Y'all stay with me. We're talking about miracles. That some in the body of Christ say, well, that doesn't happen anymore. 
talking about supernatural acts of power from God working through believers. We're talking about this is the reality of the first century church, and I dare risk it. It's not the reality of the 21st century church, and you know what we've done? We've blamed God. We said, well, God doesn't operate like that anymore. said, Jeff, that kind of miraculous activity stopped by the end of the first century. I, I, I challenge you. Show me that in the same Bible that says the miracles came. Show me, use that same Bible to tell me that they went. The supernatural, by the way, it started out with the apostles, but 20 years later when Paul is writing the church at Corinth, and about 25 years later when he's writing the churches of Galatia, Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, now in that church, and that was a messed up church, it was not, they were not spiritual dynamos, they were an immature, loveless church that needed a lot of correction, but Paul said, even in that church, there are those of you that are working miracles, he says it right there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. He gives a broad expanse, not only at Corinth, but in the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit empowers many at a heightened level to work miraculous power. In the churches of Galatia, Paul said in chapter number 2, don't remember the verse, but he said, did, did the one who works, does the one who works miracles among you, does he do it by the hearing of the law or by the power of the Holy Spirit? So miracles, friends, were not just simply attributed to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and relegated only to the apostles. It never was meant to stay with the apostles. One of the apostles, Paul, is writing the churches of Corinth and Galatia, and he's telling them there's miracle power operating among you, and the source of that is the Holy Spirit. The reason why I bring that up is because I was taught, well, yeah, when the apostles died out, there went the miracles. Now all we have is the Word. And my friends, I'm going to tell you, I think that is one of the most damnable heresies that has peppered the church in the last 400 years. It's terrible. I, and I'll tell you the practical ramifications of that. Do you think that the devil, as he advances his agenda, do you think he just does it by bad doctrine? Just by bad doctrine? Does the enemy just set up bad systems of thought? I, mean, I would dare say that most Christians would say, I believe in demonic possession. I believe in a demon coming and, and possessing somebody and making them do extraordinary things beyond their human abilities and beyond their human power. And then that same Christian would say, but God can't ever do that. God can't empower a person like that. God doesn't do that anymore. God just gives us Bible studies and the disciplines of prayer and fasting and studying and church growth techniques and how to lead somebody to Jesus. And I'm, I'm, listen, I'm not against those things, but I'm going to tell you the devil loves it when we as the body of Christ show up to a spiritual war with our textbook and no power. Y'all are not with me today. Why do you think the apostle Paul said, uh, remember when I came to you? I didn't come to you in word only, in teaching only, but I came in demonstration of the Holy Spirit power. And, and now what we say is, yeah, we, we can't come to you in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit power, but we got the Word. Well, look, we need to have the Word, but if that's all we've got, there, there, is it any wonder why we're not winning? Is it any wonder why people are in their bondage to drugs, alcohol, sexual addiction? Is it any wonder that perversion is, is sucking the American culture into a vortex of sin? Is it any wonder that our children have, generally speaking, across America, have an, an anarchy coursing through their veins? Is it any wonder why darkness is called light and light is called darkness? You know why? Because they're not listening to our Bible studies anymore. Why? Because it's not backed with power. We need both. We must have both. Faith flows from a generous congregation. I don't think many of us would attribute what I'm about to say to an absence of power in the church, but I'm going to say it and I hope you'll receive it. When we look in verses 44 and 45, we see something that is not natural. It's called generosity. Verse number 44, watch this flow. They first gave themselves, all who believed... We're together and had all things common. That means as the believers were losing their singularity, didn't mean they lost their individuality. 
It just means that they, they forsook their individualism. They got to be who God made them to be, but they recognized that they were not an island. And so they began to come together. They began to do life together. They prayed together. They worshiped together. They witnessed together. They ate together. They served together. Many of them later would die together for the cause of Jesus Christ. But together, together, together. But out of that togetherness, out of that more than just a hanging out mindset, but a sense of being intertwined in covenant with each other, they recognized my possessions can be used to help others. Now, it wasn't communism. It wasn't enforced by the threat of penalty or death. It wasn't socialism where everybody should only make a certain amount and then those that make above that need to bring the others up so that every, it wasn't that either. It, it was koinonia. It was partnership. And it meant this, that part of their deliberate expression of their faith was to seek out needs in the body of Christ in general and to make the necessary sacrifices to ensure those needs were met. It was far cry from today where... Lord, help me. You just feel the air sucked out of the room. There it went. Listen, let's just stick to our Bibles. Let the Bible speak. They recognized that none of the things that they owned really belonged to them. But because they they recognized that they had set it all before the Lord, that same Lord could move on their hearts. He didn't want to take it from them walk away from them and him give it to them. He, he takes what they released and he says, I want you to take that which you just released. I want you to go over there. I want you to meet this need over here. Here, pick it up, take it, sell it, go and take the proceeds and go meet that need over there. He orchestrates it. He leads it. He doesn't hijack it. He certainly doesn't steal it. It's his. But he looks upon his children and he says, I'm going to bless that open hand. You just opened your hand and I know that that was important to you, you just released it to me. And you laid it before me. I'm going to tell you to pick it back up. I'm going to tell you this is the good I want you to do with it. And they got to participate in the plan of God of Christians meeting the needs of others, which has gone on for 2,000 years. One of the most amazing testimonies in Scripture is when Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians, and he's testifying about the impoverished saints at Macedonia, they were broke. They had nothing. And Paul said to the church at Corinth, hey, Corinth, you guys are doing pretty good. Y'all have gotten raises this year. You're floating pretty good. You're living in a metropolitan area. Hey, I need to tell you something. You're about to get really embarrassed because the impoverished church at Macedonia has been saving up an offering for the saints back in Jerusalem, and they are out giving you And I don't want to say this to your shame, but you need to get on the ball. Now, I'm paraphrasing hugely, but it's right there in 2 Corinthians, around 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And and these impoverished saints were literally begging Paul, saying, please let us give. Please let us give. Please let us give. You know, there's something within us when we know somebody is poor, has less than us, and they want to bless us or they want to bless somebody else. Our pride says, no, 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 no. You keep that for yourself. You, you, I'm sure that you can use that. Don't you dare steal somebody's blessing. Don't you dare, you, just to protect your own heart because maybe you're not generous yet and you don't want these people that have less to be more generous. No, 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 listen. Man, God is just helping me be bold today. I hope you're receiving this. I know, I mean this. Listen. This is so important. Well, let me just get to this. This this is safe. It's safe right here. Let me stick to the scripture. They they gave of their substance. Look at verse, verse number 45. First, they gave themselves. They were together because they gave themselves. Secondly, they gave their substance. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. Now, tell me if that's not the Holy Spirit moving. That's not the human spirit. The human spirit come. I mean, you've seen two year olds, right? Mine! mine go down to the nursery today go down to the nursery hang out be a fly on the wall down there and just watch you will see some two to three year old probably clobber another kid with something with a building block mine nobody taught them how to do that that's in us we are naturally takers and keepers something happens when you get saved and you get filled with the holy spirit you get filled with the Holy Spirit, my friend. You're going to want to meet needs. You're going to want to give. You're going, why? Because God lives in you and God's a giver. God is a giver. 
And so they, they moved from just doing life together. As they were doing life together and they s- surrendered themselves, they started seeing needs in each other's lives. And so if somebody had an acre of land and there was a big enough need, they went and sold that acre of land. They would bring the proceeds and the church leaders would distribute it. That's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it got quiet in here because we don't often associate with why... Maybe... Maybe we ought to slow down and wonder, Lord, we've got the apostles' doctrine. Lord, we're praying. Lord, we're we're breaking bread together. We're doing life together. Why isn't there any power, God? Where's the miracles? Where's the signs? Where's the wonders? And God says, hey, church, what about giving? What about the God that is inscribed on your ATM card? When will you lay that down? Too heavy for you or true? If an assembly, if the body of Christ has not come to the point where they are lavish givers, then God may not see it as the right time to pour out lavish power. Friends, as much as I am a grace man, I'm a big grace guy. I got my undergrad and my grad at uh, Bible College and a seminary that tilts reformed. So I understand the doctrines of grace. I got all of that. But I am appalled in this generation of how we ascribe the anemic state of the church. And we say, well, God's just not ready yet. Sure, he's ready. He is absolutely ready. But he's not going to pour out that degree of preciousness on people who still worship their money. And friends, Jesus said this. He says, you really can't belong to God and belong to money at the same time. Some of us would like to have a sit-down meeting and tell him why he's wrong about that. Listen, I'm just being blunt with you. This was not even really my intention this morning, but I'm saying, Lord, why isn't the power of God coming? Why aren't we seeing healings? Why aren't we seeing miracles? Why aren't we seeing the outpouring that we know you can give and we've got all of our ducks in a row? And by the way, I don't have anything to do with finances here. We're going to vote on budget next week. I I, I never even looked at the reports. I don't have anything to do with money. I'm not going to get a raise if you give more. So this this is not for me. This is kingdom stuff. This is kingdom principles and teaching. And the heart is deceitful above all things. And I believe this, that the heart is most deceitful about you and your money. And it's so easy to sing and to shout and to dance. It's so easy to master the disciplines of prayer and evangelism and fasting and discipleship. Those are easy. But Jesus said, and Jesus could have picked anything when he said the war of the soul is is found in these two things. What is the war of the soul? He says you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money. That's landing somewhere today, and I pray in the name of Jesus, if you're convicted about that, don't you dare pass it off as a preacher's word. That's God speaking to you this morning. He's coming forcefully on this thing, forcefully. Let's get down into verses 46 through 47, and I'll be done. Faith flows in joyous celebration. Say, yeah, Jeff, give us some joy. I know. Hey, you you don't like hearing it preached? I hate preaching about money. I hate it. I do. Faith flows in joyous celebration. So, as any had need, they're meeting the needs of the people. Signs and wonders are occurring in the apostles' lives, and that would eventually spread into the church as evidenced by the epistles, and even later into the book of Acts. They're living in awestruck reverential fear of God, And they're living in devotion to the Word of God, the apostolic doctrine. That would be our Bible, our New Testament. They're living in intertwined covenant with each other. They're engaging in communion in the Lord's Supper. And they are committed in prayer. And look what happens. This is where you get the backed up, the macro view. What did it look like in that community? What happened there in that time in the early church? Well, watch this. There was joy in the house of worship. Day by day, they were attending the temple together. They didn't have a church building. They would meet in synagogues later, but church buildings were hundreds of years away from being an actuality. And so when, when these Christians who were been brought up Hebrew and were Jewish, most of them by race, were, were, were wanting to get together and celebrate that Yeshua, the Messiah, has come. 
and he's coming again, they would go every day to the house of worship. They, they didn't want to try to get away from it. They wanted to go to it, and there was joy there. They attended the temple together. They, they would fulfill the psalmist, and the psalmist talked about how sweet it was when the brothers dwelled together in unity, that it was like the anointing oil flowing down in the priest's beard and onto the robes. Something beautiful about the brothers and sisters worshiping together in the collective gathered place in the temple. And friends, it's still that way. I love to worship by myself. I love to. But I'm going to tell you something. It's not the same as when we get to all come together and worship together. There's a different dynamic. There's a different anointing. There's a different sense of the manifest presence of God when we come together in the community of faith. And they knew that right off the bat. They didn't have anywhere to go like we do. And we got it made, man. We got most days air-conditioned place and we got soft seats. And we, 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 we've got it made. But I've experienced that same anointing in, in, in uh, 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 God help me, where did I go to Africa last? Where was it? Oh, Nick, where did we go to Africa? Tanzania. Tanzania. Thank you, brother. <laughs> a little senior moment there. Tanzania, sitting, sitting in a almost just a ramshackle place, sitting on hard benches, sitting on concrete floor. The place was hot. There was cows and naked kids running all around outside. It was the craziest church scene I've ever been in in my life. And there was a pastor who, before he preached an hour-long sermon, led music for two hours. I'm going to tell you, loving what God's doing here this morning, but I'm going to tell you, if I could transport there right now, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Because it was the manifest presence of God and about 60 people in a sweaty hot room that smelled like cows and naked kids. It was glorious. Why? Because the presence of the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. It means where he is and he's worshipped, we ought to expect good things. One of the things I love about the Friday night Gwinnett regionals is that uh, we don't cram a bunch of other stuff in there. There's rarely any preaching. There's prophetic words, words of knowledge and everything, but there's not, there's not any preaching or anything. And it's just a time to immerse yourself in the presence of God, and God moves in a different way. Let me just tell you this, and I know what time it is, and if you've got to leave, that's fine. What, what we need, brothers and sisters, when we gather together is we need the glory to fall, and we need the glory to remain. That's what we need. We get satisfied off of anointing. Anointing is not the same thing as when the glory falls. Anointing is good. I want to operate under an anointing, but here's the thing. You actually can operate under an anointing. Most of the time when the glory falls, you can't operate at all. Y'all do not know what I'm talking about. You need to. You need to. Sometimes you can't walk. Sometimes you can't talk. Sometimes you, you can just sit there and cry. Sometimes you can't stand. There, there, are, there are moments when the glory comes and abides. And by the way, that's when miracles really begin to happen. Because it is in the manifest presence and the, 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 the lingering glory. I don't even want to use that word. The, the settling glory of God. When God's glory sets on a place, bodies are healed. Minds are renewed. Addictions are broken. And friends, as we begin to press into the Lord, don't just pray for an anointed Sunday. I told somebody, it was either the staff or the music team recently, that uh, our, our prayers for good Sundays are turning into the worst prayers we could pro probably offer. They're becoming the enemy. God, give us a good Sunday. God, give us a good worship set. God, give me a good message. I hate those prayers now. Let me tell you why. Because those are get-by prayers. Those get you by for a Sunday. But they don't transform lives. And when, when God's glory settles on a place, and, and it will settle when we are hungry. It's not that God is sovereign and he'll do it when he's ready. He's ready. Jesus did not come, live, die, rise, and ascend to play peekaboo with the church. He's ready. But we're not hungry. There was joy in the house of worship. Worship team, y'all better just come on up. I'm never going to be able to finish. There was joy in believers' homes. It goes on to say that they were breaking bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So it wasn't just about getting together on the, on the Sabbath day or actually they were meeting together on every day. But there was formal worship times and informal worship times. And so it was, we, we have ecclesia groups, home groups, and we need more. 
I'd like to have about 20 other people that could stand up and say, Jeff, we'll host an ecclesia group. We may not be able to turn that corner in a month, but listen, will you open up your home? And it doesn't have to be rigid and intense and everything. It's doing life together. It's literally relationships and welcoming the presence of the Lord to make those relationships substantial. Brothers and sisters, I just, I'm, I'm concerned that there's going to come a time when, when we aren't going to be able to meet in a building on a street corner. You just don't know. Some of you think, oh, no, Trump got elected. That's never going to happen. You don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Listen, the, the world, it doesn't matter who's in the White House, the world is not friendly to biblical Christianity. And the time may very well come where we can't meet together. All the more important to get ahead of that curve, that nasty curve, and, and go ahead and start having home groups where we meet together as the body of Christ. There was also joy in the community. The Bible says in verse number 47 that they were praising God and having favor with all of the people. And then there was joy in heaven in verse 47. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So watch this. As faith was flowing, you got all the disciplines. You got the prayer. You got the Bible study. You got the supernatural. You got the miracles. You got the healings. You got the signs. You got the wonders. You got the uber supernatural with the giving. That's supernatural. It goes beyond the nature of humans and God's moving them to sacrificially give. And then the result is that they're meeting with each other in the temple and God inhabits the praises of the people there. And they're meeting with each other in their own homes and God's meeting, uh, inhabiting the praises of the people there. And then they're spilling out in the streets and look at what the Bible says. The Bible says God's favor was on their life and they also had favor with the community. They had favor with those that were not even believers that there was such a touch of God on their lives that in some way it radiated towards some people and some of those people responded with favor to the extent that they said, these people, these followers of Yeshua, there's something going on with them. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But man, I want it. And it opened up doors to the extent that the church, the believers, were able to share their faith. And every single day, the Lord added souls. That is what, that's what it looks like when faith is flowing in a church and from a church. That's where we need to be. Don't you dare leave here dejected today. I've lifted up before you a goal, a possibility, an offer from God on high. He is willing. He is able. He is ready today. Don't wait for it to start in the church, my friend. He's looking for individuals. As he gets individuals, he'll get the church. As he gets churches, he'll get the region. As he gets regions, my friends, there will be an awakening and a revival that you and I have never experienced. And it can happen in these very dark days in the United States of America if we want it. Would you stand to your feet?